Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. All right, kiddos, you are released. Unless you want to witness history, we're finishing Luke today. Everybody's like, yeah, right. I didn't have time to tell Mike that we're just going to, I should have had him read the whole chapter, but that's okay. I didn't want to spring it up 53 verses on him at one time, so he would have been fine, I know. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here. The last two and a half years, and yes, it's only been two and a half years, we've gone through uh, the book of Luke. This is uh, the 90th sermon, if you're interested in that. And, I, and my prayer is, just as uh, Luke is writing, we saw in the very beginning, he's writing the Theophilus, and he says, I'm writing to you so that you have the certainty uh, concerning what is taught to you about Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you, church, have the certainty of what has been taught to you about Jesus, that he is the true Messiah, that he is the King of kings, that he came to redeem his kids, his children, and to build his kingdom. This morning, we're going to be closing out the book of Luke. We're going to look at the resurrection. We'll briefly see the ascension. Um, and, and then we're going to see that this is the beginning of the end. This, this is the fatal blow of Satan's reign. He has death and, and Jesus crushes his head on the cross. And he crushes his only uh, curse of death on the cross. He's setting the captives free. We saw in Luke 4, 18 and 19, he, he proclaims his mission. And we see as the resurrected Christ, he is setting the captives free. He's giving sight to the blind. We see that very um, uh, practically today as he gives sight to his disciples that he is the true Messiah. He's setting at liberty the oppressed. He's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor now, what we get to see here is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are born again to a living hope. So we see in our passage, the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, establishes his word, what he proclaimed he would do, he does. We see that it establishes his reign, and we see that it establishes his kingdom. So first we see that the resurrection establishes Jesus' words. We heard Mike read the passage of the resurrection, and, and we see that the struggle the, the women have when they go and they see the tomb, and it's empty. They had forgotten what Jesus had said just um, shortly before that, that he had to die, and, and he had to be raised again. We see that the disciples had, had forgotten. They, they didn't even go to the grave on the third day. And that makes me ask myself, and it makes me want to ask you, have you ever forgotten the words of God? Have you ever forgotten the words of Jesus? The, the believers almost immediately after the crucifixion forget. They almost immediately forget. That those on the road to Emmaus, they say, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
As you read through this passage, and and we'll see the the heartache, the disappointment of those who are closest to Jesus, who experienced his death, who saw right before them the Messiah die. You see the sorrow, you see the heartbreak as they're coming to the tomb. And as as Luke takes us to the grave of Jesus, we see these men in, in dazzling apparel, Angels in other accounts. And they question the women when they get there. They ask them, why are you even looking for Jesus? Look at, look at the text with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. Um, if you don't have one at all, take that one home. Um, I want you in the word. Luke 24, verse 5, it says, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead. But they don't, they don't scold them. They don't holler. They don't, they, don't, they don't say, I can't believe you've already, in three days, forgotten. They gently remind them. They call them, remember the words of Christ. Remember what he told you. I mean, how often do you need to be reminded of the words of Jesus Christ? Maybe right now you need to be reminded of the words of Jesus. You're, you're struggling with something. You're backsliding. You're, you're running away. You're, you're in mourning. You're in depression. You're anxious. Listen, Jesus is not looking to scold you. He's not looking to demean you. He's gentle and lowly in heart. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. His desire is to remind you he's loving, that he's sacrificed for you. So what is it that causes us to forget? We see in the passage here, obviously sorrow forgets or causes us to forget the words of Christ. These women, the men on the road to Emmaus, we'll see the disciples as they're gathered together in a room in Jerusalem. They're, they're mourning the loss of their friend, the, the, the loss of the Messiah. And there are times in your life when sorrow seems to drown out the words of Christ. It seems to dull the words. Like, I know what I believe, I just can't access it in my mind. And it's in those times that we need the Spirit of God to remind us. I'm sending to you a helper, he says. I want you to know, and I'm going to help you to remember. And and that's why we need the church body around us to say, don't you remember what Christ has done? Don't you remember what he has said? The church, hear me, those in sorrow cannot reach out and ask for help a lot of times. I think a lot of times we think, well, if they would have just said something, if, they, if, if we only knew, if, if, if they would have just asked for help, we would have been there. But in sorrow, most of the time we don't have that capacity. We don't have the ability to reach out and, 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 and ask for help. Those of us who are on the outside, the body of Christ who are not in sorrow, need to reach into sorrow. Just like Christ enters into our sorrow and he enters into our pain, we are called to do the same thing. We are entering into the lives of those Christ has made us one body with. 
Paul says that in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We're a family. This is what family does. We, we are here for each other, to point each other not to ourselves because we're not God and we make crummy gods. I've told you that many times. But to point each other to Christ, just like these men do. Remember the words of Christ. The second area that causes us to forget is, is simply unbelief. Look at verse 11. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, they come and tell the apostles. And, and these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. These are the apostles, church. 25, verse 25 He's with, on the road to Emmaus, and he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And we see it again in 36 through 43. They were talking about these things, and Jesus stood among them and, and said to them, Peace to you. But they, they were startled and frightened and, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And he gave them a piece of broiled fish and he took and ate before them. They still, I mean, the Christ is standing in front of them, resurrected, body and Luke is going out of his way to show us that he is actually resurrected. He actually has a body but they still have a hard time believing. They're in this momentary state of unbelief. They're failing to believe the testimony of the women. They're failing to believe even the words of Jesus because of fear or sorrow or, or whatever turmoil is going on in their life. But even today, church, we have trouble believing the words that we profess we believe. You struggle at times to believe that God is actually in control. You struggle at times that God will provide for all of your needs. You struggle at times to, to, to believe that he's actually going to avenge you of your enemies. And so we, we want to take that into our own hands, right? You fail that, to believe at times that you're loved by God, the God of all creation. That you're accepted by the God of all creation. That you are forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. We have a hard time believing these things. The father in Mark, Mark chapter 9, he, he believes, but he has, he has this struggle between belief and doubt. And we see he utters these words that we need to pray constantly. Let me tell you just the this, this scene for a moment. <clears throat> they bring... Uh, the boy to him. So this boy is having seizures, falling down in the fire, falling down in the water. The father is, is scared. His son is going to die. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's 
has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And this is a prayer that we as a church need to say, I do believe, but Lord, my flesh is so weak. My mind is so easily swayed. My heart and my emotions are so easily pushed aside. Help my unbelief. And he will. And he does. Some also struggle to remember because they have failed to believe Jesus is truly the Messiah. Look at verse 19. He's again, we're looking at the road to Emmaus, and he says to them, what things? So they've been talking about the things that are going on, and, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. We see in Matthew 21 that some in the crowd said that he is a prophet, this prophet Jesus from Nazareth. They, but they didn't believe he was the Messiah. They believed he's someone special. They believed he was a prophet. He was obviously sent from God. But they didn't believe that he was actually God. And, and I want you to hear, church, if you believe that Jesus is only a good teacher, you will not believe his words when times get tough. If you believe that Jesus is only a prophet for you, you will not believe when things don't happen like you think they should happen. If you confess, though, that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord of all creation, and you believe in your heart, he will cause you to believe more and more. Finally, we forget because we fail to marvel at what Jesus has actually accomplished. Look at verse 12. So the other disciples, they thought this is an idle tale. They didn't believe the women, but Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. When we look at the cross, when we look at the resurrection, we should marvel. The word could also mean be astonished, be amazed, be in wonder. I should not come to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, huh, thank you. I'm not going to think about that anymore. Like it should penetrate every day and we should marvel that the God of all creation would put on flesh and die for us. And that he would not only die for us, but he would be resurrected so that we could also be resurrected. We should marvel like Mary and Joseph do when he tells them about the birth of Jesus. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Like the crowds do when he speaks, they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. Like the disciples do as he calms the waves. He says, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. We should be 
amazed at who Jesus is. And we need to ask ourselves, have I stopped being amazed? Have I stopped marveling at the risen Savior? Have I stopped being astonished at his grace poured out on me, on his, on his power, on his love, his justice? If you have, turn and be amazed. Marvel at the resurrected Christ. Marvel at the grace that was poured out on you. As John Newton is marveling at the amazing grace as he writes that hymn. He's, he's, how amazing God's grace is that he would save a wretch like me. Be astonished at what Jesus is doing in your life and in this world. Be astonished that this took place in Jerusalem and today in Coos Bay we're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Take time to meditate on his word, his life, his, his promises, his character. Remember the words of Jesus as the angels remind us. Remember the words of Jesus and look at the women as they, as they, they do remember he, he tells them, remember how he has told you when he was still in Galilee, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day arise. And they remembered and returned from the tomb and told these things to the eleven and all the rest. They remembered and it gave them confidence. Oh, I, I do remember. I, he is risen. He did promise us. And they run and tell the disciples. We should be that way. I do remember. I'm going to run and tell everyone I can of the, the faithfulness of God. His resurrection affirms he is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is Lord God Almighty. And how do they remember this? How do they hear so they can remember? They spent time with Jesus. They spent years with Jesus. They listened to him. They sat at his feet. They, they listened to his word. They watched his acts of uh, miracles and his acts of mercy. Are you spending that personal time with Christ so that you can hear his word and remember his word? Are you reading the word? Are you praying constantly? Are you spending time with those who follow Jesus Christ so they can remind you? Are you in a small group? We have several small groups. Are you doing that? Are you being encouraged with other believers? Are you sitting down and having coffee and, and talking about the things of God, having dinners at your home and talking about the things of God, reminding each other? Are you regularly attending church? The average Christian only attends church once a month. I'll just leave that. And don't just remember the words. Remember that the resurrection fulfills the words. That he actually accomplished what he said. He did what he came to do. He delivered us. He was delivered over to the, sin, the hands of sinful man. He became the suffering servant for us. He suffered with us. He, he was crucified. He became the Passover lamb to atone for our sins. To fulfill all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. To say, in Christ they are fulfilled. 
He did raise, arise on the third day. He's victorious over death. And he is fulfilling now what he said he would fulfill. He sent us his Holy Spirit. We have his Spirit. He is making us holy. He promises to do that. He is, he is praying for you right now. He is building his church. He's preparing his bride. We see in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. I want you to focus on Christ here. As Christ loves the church and he gave himself up for her. Why? So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He is, he is cleansing his bride. He's sanctifying his bride. He's making his bride holy. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. He's growing his kingdom, church. And he will fulfill what he said he would fulfill. He will return. He will destroy all evil. He will make all things new. Jesus is risen. And this means he's defeated death. This means he's defeated sin. Satan no longer holds power over the children of God. He no longer can blind the nations to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This means he is going to accomplish everything he said he would accomplish. In Christ, your past is forgiven. In Christ, your present is grounded in his resurrection. In Christ, your future is secure. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only Jesus dying and being raised so that one day you can get into heaven. That is not what it's all about. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ establishes his reign. And there's confusion over what is, there's confusion and there's a lot of debate over what is the kingdom and what does his reign actually look like? What does that actually mean? We see in, in verse 21 what they expected. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And this is the third day. And uh, besides this, we're not going to go to that part. Uh, but they hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. The redemption of Israel, they were thinking this was the physical overrunning of Rome. That the Messiah would come and set up shop and, and that Israel would be on top again where they were. They would be a, a nation like they once were. We see that again in Acts 1.6. So even after he returns, they ask, Lord, will you at, at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still not, still not understanding what he is saying, what he has accomplished. This has been the hope for Israel for hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. And today, many are confused about what does it mean? What does the reign of Christ mean? As if we're waiting for something to happen. As if the few, it's only a future thing. And the, that the cross and the resurrection only secured some future reality. It's a, it's a now reality, church. Many Christians function in the same way first century Israel did. Acting as if it's more important to be on top socially or politically than proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
to care for the poor and the widow, the weak and the faint-hearted. And here's the problem with that. It pits us against people instead of building the kingdom now. We start to just look at the news, church. We start tearing each other apart. We start pulling churches apart and we start losing people and we start seeing Christians and and non-believers tearing each other apart. That is not the building of the kingdom. If Christ's reign is only future, we have no hope right now. We have zero hope. We're only buying time. We're only waiting. We're only holding out. We are like those who are on the road to Emmaus with our heads down in unbelief, thinking the Messiah is not reigning yet. He hasn't accomplished what he has promised, but eventually he will. It's no wonder that so many Christians don't share the gospel. It's no wonder we're not sharing our living hope and only grumbling against the government and physical forces around us and and only focusing on ourselves because we don't realize that Jesus is on the throne right now. He's reigning right now. If you find yourself faint-hearted and scared and worried and in turmoil, angry or reactive or want to take matters in your own hands, maybe in those moments you failed to see that Jesus is on the throne right now. Jesus suffered, died, was raised, and ascended into heaven to establish his reign now. Look at verses 25 and 26. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? What does it mean for him to enter into his glory? It means Jesus enters into his reign as a rightful king. It it means he's recognized for who he truly is. We see this picture in Revelation 5, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Just as we see Peter and And James and John, they see in the transfiguration, the the veil is pulled back just for a moment. And they see the glory of Christ. We see Peter and, and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but they came fully awake and they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. They they saw for a moment who Jesus truly was as King, as God. And it was necessary for him to suffer and die and rise so that he would enter into his glory, we see in Philippians. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He had to die, therefore, since he became obedient and died on the cross, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is presently 
highly exalted. He's reigning now until he builds the kingdom and defeats his enemies. He says, then the end comes. When does the end come? When he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Do you understand what this means for you? Do you understand if this means that Christ is on the throne now? He has the authority to build his kingdom now. He has the authority to send to you his Holy Spirit now. He has the authority to break down the barriers of those who do not know him so that they can understand the gospel now. He has the authority to break all of the addictions in your life now. He has the authority to build his kingdom. He fulfills and is fulfilling scripture. And beginning with Moses, verse 27, and all the prophets, he interprets to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He does it again in verse 44 through 47. He says, these are my words I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this is written, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus crushes the head of Satan as promised in the scriptures. Jesus blesses the nation as the promised seed of Abraham as promised in scripture. Jesus reigns forever as king, as promised to David in scripture. Jesus gives us new hearts and his spirit as promised in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 in scripture. Do you understand that Jesus, in Jesus, all of scripture anticipates and longs for him? We see in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it is through Jesus that we utter amen to God for his glory. He is accomplishing what he promised. The long-awaited Messiah has come. The promised seed, the promised prophet, the promised deliverer, the promised king, the promised servant, the promised prince of peace has come. So when we read scripture and we read things like, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am with you. For I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Is a yes in Christ. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. There's a yes in Christ. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow, and they shall flourish like grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon is a yes in Christ. It's Jesus, by his spirit, he opens their eyes to see who he is. I believe Luke here is revealing Jesus is the reverser of the curse in Genesis. In Genesis 2.17, God is warning Adam about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you shall not eat from that, for on that day you will 
on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die spiritually. They become dead. They can't hear or recognize God's will unless he helps. All of humanity is blind to the one true God. All eyes are turned inward instead of upward. They die in the sense that they're spiritually dead. And we see not long after that warning, they, the, they eat. And he says, and the eyes of them were opened. And the loincloths so were naked. And, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they have this unwelcome knowledge that God was trying to protect them from. And then in this passage, we, we get to see, we're just going to read it. Look at Luke 24. 28, again on the road to Emmaus. And they draw near to a village which they were going and he, uh, he acted as if he was going further but they encouraged him strongly or urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent and he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, okay, this is where I want you to pay attention. He took bread And he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. In this passage, they sit down unknowingly with the resurrected Jesus Christ. They don't know they're with him. He breaks bread, though. And they, they eat with him, just as he does in the Lord's Supper a few chapters before this, and their eyes are open. Just like they are closed in our sin, they're opened in Christ to the truth. N.T. Wright, he says, this, this meal, Luke is saying, is the ultimate redemption. This is the meal which signifies that the long exile of the human race, not just Israel, is over at last. Do you get that? The Jews are waiting for the redemption of Israel. We see that in the passage. They were exiled. They were were run by a foreign government. And Jesus opens their eyes as they eat with him, and he says, I'm doing something far better. I am redeeming all the nations. I am reversing the curse that that put every person born under the curse. I'm reversing that curse now. And once we realize that Jesus is presently reigning and he opens our eyes, we can understand that he is establishing his kingdom in the resurrection. Look at verse 48. He establishes it on the teachings of of the apostles, you are witnesses of these things. He's, he's saying, you who are with me, you saw that I died. You saw what I taught. You saw that I died. You saw that I rose from the grave. You are witnesses of these things. Go and tell the nations. Go tell them that I am the one who fulfills scripture, that I'm the promised Messiah. Go tell them who I am. And the church does. They devote themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. This is the kingdom teaching. 
Jesus says in verse 45, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. Jesus is securing for himself a people. He's fulfilling what Israel failed to do. He's proclaiming the grace of God to all nations. And that is our message, church. That Jesus lived, he suffered, he died, and he was resurrected and is seated on the throne and is welcoming the nations into his kingdom. That people should repent and turn to Jesus and receive forgiveness from sins and and receive new life, true life. And this message is empowered by the coming Holy Spirit. Look at verse 49. He says, "And, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Just as he promises on in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Again in John 16, 7, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When Jesus ascends to the throne in heaven, he seats himself down. He in his authority sends his promised Holy Spirit to all believers. So that we may live the kingdom life. So that we may be kingdom people. So that we may proclaim the kingdom and and, and bring glory to the king. We can't do that by ourselves. And he knows that. He says, don't worry. I am with you. I will help you. And his authority is ensuring the kingdom on earth is going to come as it is in heaven. He is freeing the captive church. He is building his king. He sends his spirit to convict the world of sin so that they will turn to the Messiah. In church, we have to learn to live by the power of the spirit. We have to learn to live by the power leading us, the spirit, the love of the spirit, so that we can become the city on a hill we're called to be, so that we can love our enemies, so that we can proclaim the gospel to the lost. So can we, we can be light in the darkness. And those who follow Jesus are blessed by Jesus. And then he led them out as far as Bethany. It's only about two miles away. He lifted his hands and he blessed them. Church, Paul says of us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing, not just receiving salvation, but a purpose and a hope. We are made new. We are given the tools we need. We're given everything we need to live holy lives and and make disciples of the nations. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. 
You will fail, but you have the cross to go back to and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness? And he says, yes, I will. I will change you. I am changing you. And finally, Jesus' kingdom is focused on the worship of the one true king. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and continually in the temple blessing God. They worship in the word. They, they sing. I'm certain that they're singing hymns here. They worshiped him. They prayed. They cried out. They worship in obedience. So look at the text, verse 52. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem, okay? And you might think, well, there's not much going on there. But he says to them, go to Jerusalem until you have the Spirit. And they do it. They obey. They worship by following. They don't know what he means completely. They don't know what it's going to look like. They know they're going to be persecuted. They could even die. But they said, the resurrected Lord told me to do it. I'm going to listen. That's worship. Obedience is worship. And they do it with great joy. See this as the heartbeat of the early church. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. They gather with the saints. If you've been on the news sites or social media or even in a board meeting lately, you'll see that our country's in turmoil. It do, you, don't, you can just open your phone more than likely and you have seven text messages or, or notifications that are, is telling you we're in turmoil. But church, listen to me. The king is on the throne. He is reigning and building his church. In the midst of chaos, he is bringing order. We may, may we be a people who remember that the resurrection, it's not just a ticket to get into heaven, uh, or it's not just a ticket to get out of Dodge before it burns down. It is the establishment of God, the kingdom of God, so that we may love those who are in the darkness so they may see the light. <laughs> It is a call to participate with Jesus in advancing his kingdom and his glory. So I simply want to close the book of Luke with these words. I want you to look at them with me. Verse 46 and 47. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance... And forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Jesus, you are highly exalted. You're the name above all names. At your name, every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. I pray that we understand the power of the resurrection. And we understand that you, Lord, are securing for yourself 
a people. That you are making us a kingdom of priests so that we go and tell others. And we make disciples who, who in turn make disciples and, and they go and make disciples. Father, may we be a people of great hope, of great love, of great mercy. Help us to display your life in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.